0: Hello, and welcome back to the blockchain.com podcast. My name is Garrick Heilman. I'm the head of research at blockchain.com and a visiting fellow at the London School of Economics. We're excited to share with you a recent conversation I have with our very own Charlie McGarrig, who heads the blockchain.com markets team. Charlie has made a number of very pressing calls on crypto markets, including warning of the recent record setting correction, which saw Bitcoin's price plummet from near $60,000 all the way down to around $30,000. While Bitcoin has previously seen bigger percentage drops, the near 30% nominal drop was the largest in Bitcoin's history. In this episode, we get Charlie's take on whether the crypto bull market is still intact. Is Bitcoin status as the primary crypto reserve asset also intact in light of growing environmental concerns? Why measures like Bitcoin dominance are poor to watch and what you should really be watching? The evolving China regulatory situation why there is some upside to a crackdown in china we also talk DeFi, ethereum and what key upside and downside catalysts charlie is keeping an eye on for the coming months we'd love to hear what you think of this episode in the comments section of this podcast and if you're enjoying our podcast please rate us and leave a review as it really helps boost our visibility to more listeners thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the episode <music>
1: Right. So, is the bull market intact? We do think the bull market is intact. I think it comes down to basically a longer-term view on the dollar for the rest of this year where it still feels like the size of the federal budget is very uh large to say the least and uh, the deficit, you know, is going to remain elevated and should put pressure on on the dollar. That combined with the kind of what we still think is a broad You know, market view that the fed is somewhat behind the curve and inflation is picking up with the demand growth post pandemic. This should be pretty constructive for, for hard assets and that that should lend a structural kind of bid for Bitcoin and and crypto more broadly. I also think that importantly that theme supporting Bitcoin had driven up the market, you know, very meaningfully in Q4 and Q1. But what's happened since then is that a progressively larger set of sophisticated financial market players uh, are getting much more educated on the digital asset space in general. And there seems to be a growing consensus in traditional financial world that DeFi is for real. And you've really seen that in the outperformance of Ethereum. And so kind of the pace of innovation in, in, in DeFi and the general kind of growing familiarity with crypto assets across respectable channels, you know, so-called respectable channels in traditional markets is, is, is driving additional awareness of the space and additional kind of interoperability into the space. On top of that, the infrastructure for crypto to support institutional involvement continues to get built out, you know, at a quite rapid clip. uh, And there's a lot more investment going in that should tend to facilitate a greater ease of, of institutional crossover demand into the space. And, and we think it is supporting the market here and likely to continue supporting the market. Ironically, (laughs) yep. Yeah, Sorry, I was just going to
0: say, I, I want to dig more into the DeFi question here in just a moment, but maybe we could just kind of go back to what happened in, in the market events of last week, the huge sell-off. You know, a lot of people have attributed it to a combination of multiple factors, starting with, you know, Elon and Tesla kind of backtracking bit yeah. on Bitcoin, and then the China news and the options kind of leverage situation in the markets. What's your, what's your kind of post-mortem on actually... What happened there what was significant and what was more kind of noise?
1: I think, I think who knows what the exact catalyst was. The fact is the market's been in an uptrend for a long time, and there was a lot of speculative leverage built up to be long. And we could see that very clearly from the shape of the futures curve, implying the borrow rate for dollars is very expensive, right? People are definitely borrowing a lot of dollars to buy a lot of crypto. And a lot of leverage got washed out, and it kind of cascaded. You know, as people stopped lost out, you know, with their levered bets. I guess that's a function in some in some sense of, you know, crypto seems like a really good idea. It's got a lot of buy-in across the world. People think it's really cool, and uh, unsurprisingly, the people who are in crypto want to be even longer crypto than they can afford to be, and so they borrow money to be long, and now it's been washed out. I don't think it's more complicated than that. I think that the market structure, which allows access to levered trading, you know, at scale. For you know, lots and lots of different people in lots of different places, just lends itself to basically a, a feedback loop of momentum in either direction, and you've just seen it wash. I think what's remarkable is that, from what we can tell, operating businesses in the space seem to have done just fine in the move. They've managed their risk effectively. And there's a fair amount of speculative capital that's undoubtedly taken a big loss, but but more than that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it has any greater significance. Now, having a cascade of all these headlines hit at the same time is obviously kind of a, the, a perfect storm, which in conjunction with the leverage caused, you know, caused a crash. Now that said, going forward, I think it will take the market some time to recover from this. I don't think, you know, I think there was a fair amount of capital destroyed on the way down and, and, and it's the more aggressive capital that was destroyed. So it will take time for that to re-leverage and come back in. So I think a uh, volatility is likely to be lower going forward than it's been um, previously. I also think that the headlines in China specifically are quite interesting because with with Elon Musk tweeting about the carbon footprint of bitcoin mining and then the Chinese subsequently taking action on it. So you've had this cascade of headlines, you know, flagging the sustainability footprint of bitcoin mining in particular. Now there's lots of different opinions about the the greenness or lack of greenness of the crypto mining, you know, world it, it, some people think it's it's actually positive for the environment because it allows the intermittent Intermittent renewable power to be monetized and therefore reduces the cost of CapEx overall into renewable power. I'm going to refrain from opining about that, but suffice to say that the Chinese taking action on Bitcoin mining onshore should substantially reduce the, the carbon footprint of the, of the network overall. And that's actually probably a good thing in terms of making the asset class more investable for Western institutional money. So it's a pretty interesting kind of setup now because the price is lower and more attractive. The carbon footprint has, you know, front loaded a fair amount of cleanup. What, you know, what might've taken, you know, a year or two for the private market to do on its own it seems to have been front loaded, you know, in a matter of weeks with, with the Chinese policy. And so you've got like lower price, it's cleaner and probably there's less leverage, which means the volatility should be lower and, and that all, all those things make it more attractive for an institutional allocator. So I think it's an okay setup here those three points in conjunction with, with the kind of generally bearish dollar view that seems to predominate in the market.
0: Yeah. And just to spend a little more time on China. I mean, I think all that makes sense. I think the question, you know, is, you know, how serious is China this time and how effective can they actually be in, in trying to drive, you know, Bitcoin mining, crypto mining out of China, you know my my concern was boy if they really do you know go full tilt on that and and succeed in in basically squashing crypto mining in china to effectively a zero percent market share that not only is that you know, negative from a network security level perspective, but also it might embolden them to actually go after Bitcoin ownership and or crypto ownership. I think the
1: first point about network security and the total hash power, as long as that hash power is redistributed in a dispersed way across the world, in the end, I think it's a net positive for security, actually. So I don't think that's really much of a concern, at least not to me. I think it is a bigger concern to say that, you know, crypto will be banned or something like that more heavily or more, you know, more proactively in a large jurisdiction that's meaningful for the, for the crypto market. I do think that's important. And, but I don't think it, I don't, but it's just one piece of a puzzle, right? Again, I think the overall dollar view probably matters more.
0: Right. Let's talk, let's come back to DeFi, which you mentioned earlier and, and the, you know, the plumbing side of crypto, which is attracting a lot of interest. Ethereum outperforming, as you mentioned, Solana and Binance chain outperforming Ethereum, how intact is, is kind of the Bitcoin as a gateway drug? to this broader crypto ecosystem, Bitcoin's role as a reserve asset in the crypto ecosystem as we've seen Bitcoin's dominance come down from above 60%, you know, down to below 40 before this recent sell-off, back above 40 now, what, what's your view on, on kind of Bitcoin's position and also Ethereum's position with the, you know, the many competitors that are rising up?
1: I think Bitcoin's position as the reserve asset for the ecosystem is solid. I don't think that will change i think there's too much too much at stake and too much of the system is built around it already i think it's pretty burned in so um, you know time will tell but but i I don't see bitcoin going away or something like that
0: is there Um, a dominance level that you feel it will kind of you know achieve an equilibrium roughly i mean do you see it at a sub sub 30 percent level i think the the better
1: question to ask i don't think that's the right question i think the better question to ask is is there a market cap below which you'd, 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 you'd sort of say, oh man. And, and I think the dominance can continue to go down as crypto, you know, other crypto projects that are useful for other use cases gain traction. The total market cap will just get bigger and bigger, but Bitcoin as a re, you know, gold-like reserve asset, which appears to be the use case that, that has traction, I think that's more a function of the dollar and kind of the you know, how much collateral is needed around the system. So, you know, we can get into the sort of more extreme views around Bitcoin maximalism and, and so forth, but just practically speaking for now, I, I think I think if the dominance is going down in the context of the overall market cap of Bitcoin and going, going up, I, I, don't, I don't really think it's a problem.
0: Yep. And then in terms of Ethereum and, and its outperformance, I mean, obviously a lot of really exciting things on the roadmap, incredibly strong community, a uh, huge amount of momentum, yet very high fees. Uh, roadmap isn't maybe moving as quickly as some would like. What, what's your take on on kind of Ethereum vis-a-vis its competitors? If you're interested in Ethereum, should you own some of the other leading competitors to hedge? You know, Ethereum being displaced, or is there a world where there's lots, or at least several kind of major smart contract platforms that investors are likely to want to you know support and and and, and builders um, are going to build on?
1: I think it's a too soon to tell. Generally speaking, the degree of community adoption, deployment, and so forth in Ethereum seems like it's a pretty high hurdle to overcome for competitors. But there will certainly be specialized use cases that exist on other chains, I think, that are more you know, appropriate for, for, you know, for whatever the use case is. There's definitely a huge divergence of opinions on this topic. I've heard no shortage of dissenting voices around the technical capabilities of Ethereum in recent days. I, th- I still think there's some skepticism about the ability of of Ethereum to scale and the, the ability of the community to ship, but we'll see, we'll, we'll see. Personally, I think that the community adoption is just is is uh, it, it's it's significant, and 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 f- as more inflows come into the space, I think it will continue to be heavily allocated both to Bitcoin and Ethereum, yeah. Because people think of everything else, you know, people think like indexers, so I, I think it would be pretty hard to to push Ethereum out of the way.
0: Yep. What's your, what's your view, Charlie, on, on some of the you know, risk factors and kind of catalysts you know, as we look ahead over the next 6, 12, 18 months? You know, Larry Summers, for example, raising concerns about a surprise interest rate hike. At the same time, inflation fears seem to be ebbing. Do, do you have a view on, on that issue and, and what the impact could be on crypto? I think there's a generally held view that a hike in interest rates, sudden hike where the Fed's chasing Inflation is, yeah, I, is really I, I, bad I think, for the markets overall, not just I think,
1: I think if I think if the central banks show a much more elastic reaction function and get more hawkish, I I, I do think it will it will slow down this space meaningfully. I also think that if the, the fiscal forward gets reined in somehow through the political process, that will also tend to tend to you know slow down the momentum in our space.
0: Yep. So I think, I think that's the biggest, I
1: think that's a, a, away from the tail events around, you know, cyber, the, the, the constant sort of latent risk of cybersecurity problems and or really aggressive policy action. Uh, I think, I think the biggest risk to the market is the Fed being, you know, perception of the Fed being, you know, dovish turning to hawkish.
0: Yep. And then, and then on the positive side of things, Bitcoin ETF, I mean, just, don't count on it this year. Don't count on it next year, even. And what other kind of positive catalysts are you kind of keeping an eye out for? You know, other than you know the Carl Icons, you know the, you know the Ray Dalios, you know kind of coming around. It seems to crypto.
1: I I think if there were some sort of consensus to build in the market that there is a sustainability solution for. For Bitcoin mining and and the crypto market's been given the all clear and the stamp of approval by some accreditor, you know some credible accreditation. I think that would facilitate additional traditional inflows into the space. So I think that's I think that's a big piece of it. I think that I think that basically some enterprise, you know, credible enterprise deployment in financial services of DeFi or blockchain-based solutions would also potentially that shows real growth, not just sort of proof of concept, but real growth and product market fit would also drive. Uh, a, a pretty meaningful rally in the market.
0: Yep. That's great. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have for for today. Charlie, thank you so much for joining us for your take on, on markets. And uh, we'll look forward to hopefully having you back on again soon.
1: Thanks, Gary.